In this episode, we're going to be talking about planning for the unknown. Hi and welcome to this episode of So What's Up. We are talking about planning for the unknown. A lot of our clients have got in touch with us recently about um, just the rapidly changing environment that we're in at the moment and they're struggling to create business plans and tie up their marketing with it. So I've got James and Richard here with me and we're just going to talk about um, some different tactics that you can use really to make sure that your marketing doesn't stop during this time. Yeah, thanks. So obviously, you know, the big issue we're seeing is, you know, the changing landscape from a point of view of, um, I suppose, mainly retail uh, and selling goods. Uh, I think yeah, we all know that retail has been essentially dead for now a year uh, with the shops being on lockdown and not being able to open. And, you know, what we've seen is businesses are having to very quickly learn something that maybe they didn't know before, you know, to find a way to transition to just a different way of selling what they were doing before to just keep them in business. Um, so obviously from our point of view is the agency side, we're, we're normally the first port of call um, to sort of quickly uh, iterate something for, for a client um, to sort of a- approach a new market or use a new technology and just trying to help that client to overcome that technical challenge. Majority of the time uh, this has been through e-commerce. Uh, yeah. Retail clients toying with the idea of going e-commerce pre-COVID and then they've kind of been forced down that route uh, setting up their own sites, smaller websites, let's say, make it yourself websites. And then they've realized this is actually going to be a long-term thing and they need to focus a lot of their energy on becoming that e-commerce business they never planned. Yeah, it's interesting. It's not even just the small businesses. Like, for example, there's a a shoemaker in the UK called uh, Crockett & Jones who are really well-known. They've been around for many, many years. They never sold e-commerce at all. They used to sell through boutique shops and like Oxford Street and places like that. And I literally over the weekend got an email from them that said, we're now opening an online store because we can't sell our product. Yeah, they've actually acknowledged that they are, they've been in a situation where their role model has led to a point where they physically can't sell the products that they've got in the warehouse. So they've had to invest in an online store um, whilst, you know, acknowledging they're late to the party because it was never really part of their business plan, but they've had to, to sort of pivot and adopt this as a new way going forwards. And yeah, we're seeing this across Every size of company, from micro companies up to massive companies, everyone's have to change how they're adapting to the current situation. Uh, and also with having one eye on trying to plan for the future that you don't know what's coming down the line. And people with existing e-commerce businesses, we've noticed they've scaled quickly without planning for yeah, the scale. So there's been a lot of server hosting changes, website platform upgrades, and and just focusing on things really technical that they necessarily weren't planning on doing. Yeah, I'd say that um, we're seeing that on people that were already established um, with e-commerce prior to the COVID situation. Um, people that went e-commerce during COVID are still in that sort of growth ramping up phase, sort of finding their feet. But people that were already established and had a sort of a store already, um, like you say, they're the ones experiencing major growth issues. Um, in fact, we did a previous podcast on um, sort of how to keep your website online and the reasons why websites tend to crash. Uh, and we covered a lot of the points in that around um, sort of, you know, at what point does your store need to look at the sort of technical infrastructure to scale up? Um, but I say we are seeing that across our established clients, the smaller clients, they are, you know, they sort of moved to it quickly. Um, but then then now trying to work out 
how best to deal with that yeah, in terms of how, the, how they're going to market it, how does it affect their marketing plans, what the difference is between what they were doing before and how they've got to do it now, and all the things that come with that, yeah, and all the different channels available to them from social media to email marketing to paid ads and, and everything in between, really. There's quite a few of our clients as well who are already established e-commerce players. They know that they know the platform. They know how to how to do e-commerce basically, and they've uh, they've taken that opportunity to sit down with the marketing team and to capitalize on the the new revenue streams really and the the sheer volume of people now going e-commerce. And they've uh, they've done really well out of it. Yeah, I mean we've seen. I mean a couple of clients I can think off the top of my head who. Um, Actually, it's been a massive savior for them, really, you know, where their old revenue streams had dried up and their e-commerce having been established or was sort of right at that already in that sort of growth phase has completely picked up the slack in terms of the business that they, they weren't going to get uh, in the first place. And now it's going to be their sort of main springboard for the future in terms of how do they adapt their marketing um, to use that as their primary channel. Um, I mean, Chelsea, you'll know, because we've run a few um, sessions with clients, haven't we, in terms of how they can sort of best um, sort of monetize and sort of use sort of conversion rate optimization to improve what they've already got? Yeah, definitely. So I think um, one thing I would say about some of the clients that we've been working with, some of them, especially those um, larger established ones, have been used to doing the kind of um, deliberate market planning where you plan for the next three years, you have like s- specific objectives, like you've got your smart goals and that sort of thing that they are used to objectifying and reporting against. But now because of the of the regulations we've got and how the platforms are changing all of the time as well and um, Facebook is constantly updating, Google's constantly updating and iterating it's actually super hard to do these kind of three-year plans because we do not know what the digital landscape will look like in three years. So it's almost training the clients to think of this emergent planning, as it's called, where you actually go from having set objectives to thinking about um, iterative sprints and looking at kind of how you can make the most of how the channels are working now, experimenting more so than they ever have done before, getting them feeling safe and kind of looking at different ways to actually optimise the platforms and stuff for them as they stand now and being much more tactical rather than strategic, I'd say. Yeah, it's all, it's, it's being more innovative about how you look at things and also taking yourself out of the... I suppose the yeah everyone's used to this sort of tried and to, tested way yeah, of doing things. Yeah, yeah. What's the yeah? What's the phrase for it? So yeah, it, it's you know you look at a three year plan and go well we have to do that plan and execute it that way. But I think it's being comfortable with the fact that that might not work out that way and maybe a three month plans as far as you can go before yeah. something changes again. Um, and I think and actually uh, that takes some getting your head around for a business that's maybe not used to doing things that way. But that's actually where a good relationship with whichever sort of third parties that you're working with, whether it be agency or consultants um, that are sort of working in your business with you, um, to have that sort of communication uh, in place so that you can do a three-month sprint, then actually go, this isn't working or this is changing, so let's maybe go down this route. And, and you can still sort of measure it with objectives, but, yeah, the actual actionable tactical ways of getting there are, are going to be very, very different and have to... You know, be responsive depending on market conditions and, and just what's happening almost on a week by week basis. Yeah, definitely. I'd say objectives are definitely important and having that kind of set vision of where you want the business to be and having 
grave targets in mind, but not necessarily getting to them in the ways that you thought you originally were going to get to them with. So, for example, some of the clients that we had, um, they had kind of like a hybrid model of um, digital and um, using third party suppliers and um, not being truly direct to consumer whereas now a lot of their third party providers um, like um, small farm shops other revenue ways that they were getting things in they've all had to close down now because of covid and people aren't getting that footfall into bricks and mortar stores so they've had to become a true e-commerce direct to consumer platform and that's the only way now that their products are selling that's right and i think you know the phrase the best use for it is really this horizon scanning aspect where you're sort of looking at what's coming over the horizon but obviously you can't see too far ahead of yourself at the moment you know we don't know in three months time will all the restrictions of covid be um relaxed and will all the shops be open or it may not so so right now it's very difficult to sort of predict what's going to happen when and i think also you know not only just the sort of practicalities but the technology uh, aspect of things yeah we as an agency that primarily focuses on web and digital have to be looking ahead to say okay so we're working on this platform now but is this platform going to be there in five years time and try to sort of keep ahead of the game to say actually yeah we are looking into what the next thing is so that when clients come to us and say what should i be investing in we're giving them the best advice that we can and then this applies to social media and paid ads and every other media channel that exists. Yeah, we, we have to be trying to look at what's coming down the road. How, how do we help customers take advantage of it at the right point? Maybe not too early, maybe just when it's at the, it's a point where it's commercially viable for them um, and try and help them from there. And it is quite difficult to, uh, to plan too far ahead at the moment. I think there's a beauty in that, though, because um, when you actually look at kind of topsy-turvy environment that we're in at the minute and um, then you look back on previous ones that we've had about like um, the 2008 crash and the dot-com crash and all of the other kind of downturn recessions that we've been in uncertainly actually brings about like true innovation and people because people are so short-sighted in what they're actually looking for they're taking the time to really iterate and get down into the granular details and start thinking about um some of the some of the ways that we've traditionally done things and is it a viable way in the future like look at the last time we had a crash we had some really good companies like airbnb come out of them and just completely rocked like completely rocked up the market of what was on offer beforehand well if we if we flip this on its head uh we're we're primarily focusing on digital retail product based companies um well, only the other day I was chatting to quite a big, big building company, and this is the polar opposite side. So they, they're planning for the unknown. They're not planning for the unknown. They're absolutely chaotic and flat out because nobody's spending on holidays. Everybody's got money in the bank. So everybody's gone into construction, doing work on the house, doing landscaping, etc. So that's another sector that's really benefited from it. But there was no sort of planning. It's just they're all extremely busy now. So retail struggling, but service sector especially building and trades, they're, they're all flat out. They're a good example. So if you think back maybe 18 months, that company potentially had a three-year plan in terms of how things were going to go. That plan now is either completely out the window or inaccurate at best because, like you say, they've gone busy because people are you know, have got more disposable money to spend on what they're doing, which has had to completely change their whole logistics and how their business works. And they, they couldn't plan for that. But they so, rely on retail for supplies, which has been yeah. another reactive. The, the typical example, nobody could get plaster or plasterboard, for example. 
which is a crazy thing, but that stopped the service trade and relied on retail. So the likes of Travis Perkins overnight really drastically increased their e-commerce conversions and and, and have, have massively focused on that now, where they used to be bricks and mortar, go into the store, have a conversation, have a haggle and buy your products. Oh, that's it. But I think because they adapted quickly, that they have sort of come through this, you know, pretty well for them. But I think, you know, the companies that didn't, Obviously, yeah, they, they may have had a plan, but they didn't adapt that plan quick enough to then accommodate the change in environment. They're the ones right now who are actually the ones that are struggling and are going out of business and maybe not won't be back again. Um, it's people that are agile, can can see that things need to change and have the mindset to quickly change that. They're the ones that actually we're seeing are having the best growth at the moment. Yeah, uh, and you're still you're still limited by the supply chain. Oh That's yeah, what we found. So people who are having massive success online, we've got another customer who's an aquarium business, uh, they sell parts for aquariums in the pet industry. And they've had a uh, a massive boom in e-commerce sales. It's been absolutely amazing for them. The retail shops that would normally buy aren't buying from them, but everybody else, including Amazon, are buying in bulk. But their manufacturing supply chain, especially with things like Brexit at the same time as COVID, has been affected for the raw materials and the parts needed. So I think the bigger picture, nobody planned for, even the manufacturers. Yeah. And with them, the manufacturer restrictions aren't the capacity to manufacture the raw material needed. In many different industries, it tends to be down to staffing. Safe staffing yeah. is, what, is what's uh, caused the backlog in a way. Well, I think actually, it, it's, whilst it's a, a sort of a really bad situation as well, where you've got sort of those supply chain issues, it's an opportunity for those businesses to use their social media to engage their customers in a positive way and being really authentic and honest and saying, look, you know, hey guys, look, yeah, we're good, but we can't get these products to you because of X and Y. Bear with us and we'll do what we can. And actually they could turn it into a good conversation to build some good brand loyalty going forward. If people see that company's really working its hardest to try and get over those challenges on behalf of its own customers. Um, and it just gives them a different opportunity to use digital marketing to then reach out to their existing customer base and have a conversation that they weren't having before yeah. or what a conversation that maybe without the company's input was sort of just being taken online into a yeah. sort of complaint environment, you know, sort of a la TripAdvisor kind of style. Yeah, I think um, definitely with this one thing that I would say about um, brands and not actually having the answers at the moment is... Um, crisis management is a massive thing and actually engaging with any negative comments that you get on there obviously people are gonna want to air their concerns especially in the kind of environment that we live in today everyone thinks their opinion is super valid and they deserve to be listened to and I think acknowledging them and doing so in a in a professional way being super authentic about it and honest and transparent about the difficulties that you're facing maybe even like if you know that you're going to face supply challenges um actually preempting that with people writing a blog and putting it out on your social media to kind of pre-warn people that maybe their favorite products or um, their um their long-term like long-term buyers are you're going to struggle with them and I think because of everything that is going on in the world at the moment people appreciate the honesty and um, no one's gonna well no one normal would really kick off about something that isn't your fault if you explain about all of the challenges that you're facing transparency is key isn't it I think one of the industries I, I I think have reacted really well or should I say quickly to it, is the automotive industry. Mm. So buying a car over video chat or without even seeing the car 
seems to be a thing now. But they've all gone digital. Everybody's online. Everybody, The salesmen are no longer face-to-face. They're now doing videos. Uh, and they're being open and honest about delivery timescales. Things have slipped because of Brexit and COVID. But they're being open and honest from the very start. And you're buying a virtual product. So there's something about buying a car remotely or virtual that, that makes you think, actually, I'm okay to wait for that now. It's really interesting, well, that they've actually started transitioning to the phrasing, buy your car online now. Yep. And it's and a I, thing... It's in their advertising and everything. <laughs> yeah. It's becoming a thing where people will now then start to think, oh, it's okay to buy a car online. And maybe two years ago, no one thought you'd just go online and buy a car. Well, look bu- at Tesla, It's getting delivered though. as well. So you're buying a car, it's getting delivered to your door. There's no contact throughout the whole process. And then yeah. it's just crazy. But that's what Tesla's been doing for Yonks now. Like, yeah. they've never actually had full-on forecourts. They've always been centred in, like, shopping malls. And that is where you've actually bought a Tesla from if it is something that you've wanted to do. So, again, they were a really cool company that were ahead of the curve in this. Yeah, I think, you know, the only downside to it is people that are really assistant on test driving a car. I can imagine that's be quite <laughs> yeah. tricky. But, you know, yeah. uh, on the whole, yeah, which car, what cars are necessarily bad nowadays you know it's it's not like it was in the 1980s where you you know you sort of just drive a new car and think it was a bit ropey and uh, <laughs> you just don't tend to get it now i think used cars is a whole different thing obviously but yeah talking about new purchases um and obviously you know everyone finances and i think yeah historically in the world of e-commerce we've always sort of said that big high ticket items don't e-commerce very well because of people's ability to make the transaction whether they didn't have enough credit card limit or um, they had the means to pay at the end of a transaction thing, but obviously cars now are, pr- you know, I think 80, 90% financed. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's the, the perfect industry really to test out this buying online thing for big ticket items because virtually nobody pays in real money for them. No, so no. I've done both in yeah. this year. I've done, I've bought a, a used car uh, digitally and it got delivered, which was a, a great experience. And I've just, uh, just this week gone for a new car. Digitally. Never seen it, never drove it, never sat in it, which is a weird experience because I am that guy who wants to test drive a car just to see how it is. But I've, I've bitten the bullet. It's the only way of doing it. So, yeah, I've gone for e-commerce style car buying, which was a very different experience. Uh, and even the sales guy I've dealt with, I've not seen. I've heard one phone call and the rest has been done by email. I so, guess yeah. it takes away your haggling ability. <laughs> no, I still haggled. Still got a good deal, James. You know, you know what I'm like. <laughs> but obviously, that's just a good example of an industry that's looked at what's coming down the road. They've changed tax very quickly, and I'm sure they never thought that in 2021 they'd be primarily selling cars online versus their dealerships. I'm sure nobody two years yeah. ago thought that that no, was the case. No one can plan ahead for that. No. So, so yeah, I think if everyone keeps an open mind and you know looks at changing tactics and sort of takes advice and looks at the all, yeah, all the technology that's available to them to do this. And actually, people can be really successful in areas that they never thought about before. Yeah, definitely. And one thing I would add to that is um, just like the power of social media, it's literally a platform where you, as a business owner, can go out there and just maybe even if you just lurk to see what people are actually talking about, you don't have to join in the conversations if you don't really want to. I'd, I'd encourage anyone to join in the conversations and actually get your brand name out there. But just actually having that untapped resource of what people are actually talking about that is about your industry. It's it's amazing, really, that you actually have access to real-time conversations to give you that knowledge straight away. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the, our most successful clients are the ones where, our, where the people running the business are essentially the demographic client themselves. So they understand their, their, their market because they live their market. 
Yeah, they've um, built the communities online. They're yeah. really popular Facebook groups, pages, etc. Yeah. And they live and breathe the communities. Majority of the time, they don't have to actually administer them. The people on the communities answer the questions that are needed, but they just keep a close eye on it just to see what people are talking about and maybe what people want in the future as well. Yeah, and it helps them, especially like some of the ones that I've got in mind, it helps them with um, planning new products, new product development. Must save them absolutely tons on like R&D because they're literally just listening to what the people want. Yeah, social want. listening, it's a thing, yeah. and there's actually tools out there to do that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you've got a good enough community, though, I don't think you even need to spend a lot of money on the tools no. because you've got literally people there asking you and telling you what they want and giving or you that Or asking and telling each other and all yeah. you're doing is sat on the sideline listening. That's yeah. right. And I think, you know, the people, the you know, intelligent business owners should really be looking at this and saying, actually, a lot of our work can be done for us by our well-invested clients, you know, that, and customers that really have bought into our brand and, you know, want to engage with us. And I think, you know, as long as there's a bit of a two-way engagement at some point as well, where they... The uh, people that support your brand also feel like they've they're getting something back. You yeah, know. they're valued and appreciated. Yeah, then I think actually it's a great model really for people to look at, especially when it, it it's they're sort of trying to tap into new areas or just need to run an idea past their community. But it, it just you know it ticks all the boxes of authentic and genuine conversation that actually all the social media networks are looking for at the moment as well. So there's really no drawbacks to it. When you're talking about a uh, conversation. A conversation used to be for a lot of businesses they've they've not not just changed the way they do business but the customer service aspect of it. Yeah. So uh, the uh, call center telephone uh, based businesses who are used to getting inquiries over the phone that's made a massive shift now because it's well known that people will just fill in a form, expect an email back, or go onto a live chat. So these people that sat with the headsets on all day every day are now sat on chat clients chatting away, which is a whole new technology to get used to. Uh, but it can make things more efficient. As we all know, it's quite easy to convert over the phone, a lot easier. You get to know the person, you can have a conversation. Emails and, and messaging takes a lot longer to learn yeah. as well and to answer the questions they need. So, But a lot of businesses now, people have got so used to being digital that they communicate and, and, and say, I've chatted to this person, you assumed it was a phone call. But they, they, what they actually meant, it was a WhatsApp or a messenger message to the company. And sometimes as well, like one, one thing I've, I've noticed in kind of like the luxury markets as well. So you know how like um, on our website you click on and we've got like a chat bot that takes you through to Facebook. Some of the high-end companies um, for luxury products, you click on their chat and it opens up a Zoom call and you literally, you can see the person that you're talking to. And okay, that's next level. Yeah, it's next level. It's for kind of like, um, I think Sonos do it. I was so just going to say, what have you been buying? A yacht? <laughs> I've not been buying anything. <laughs> These luxury brands like Rolex watch, a yacht. James, you should know. <laughs> yeah, James will know more about this than me. Um, it's literally just, um, I just read blogs about them. I can't afford them myself. <laughs> that, that would totally freak me out. The fact that you hit a, hit a button and they're live in front of you straight away. Yeah, yeah. I've, se- I've seen a few Especially people. Especially if you're in your pants or your PJs. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen a few, but there are a few live chat products out there that support that kind of video uh, messaging aspect to it. But again, obviously, it depends on the company behind it. Is are they willing to have operators that are there all the time? I think sometimes you interacting, actually you're interacting with the bot and you don't entirely know because they're getting a lot cleverer nowadays and a lot more natural in terms of language. Um, some of them. Some of them. Some, some of them are beyond are terrible. Horrendous. And, and you, you spend your life just trying to confuse them. Um, but the but the ones that but um, you've seen during the working from home sort of revolution, there's been an awful lot of people working from home for companies that are essentially just manning live chat 
um, systems. You know, HMRC, for example, have got teams of people just manning live chat and they're all working from home. Yeah, so they say it's become a, really one of their primary ways of communicating with people for all sorts of government departments. Um, and say so the more it becomes normalised, the more everyone will expect it. And I think, you know, nowadays, if you're an e-commerce store or, um, you know, a, a company that relies on people inquiring because maybe the product's a bit technical and you haven't got any form of a sort of live chat, then I think you're missing a massive trick because, you know, it, people are just used to asking now, you know, and we've seen this 10 years ago. We, we stopped, we were implementing this on websites, you know, for people that have got, yeah, particularly techie product that maybe before the person buys, they need to, ask a bit of advice about, yeah, will it fit this? Will it, is this this size? Yeah, what's it made of? That kind of stuff. Um, and it's really become normalised for every query now. Uh, more so, I would say, than contact forms because people don't like submitting a form and then hoping someone replies back yeah. in the timescale they fancy. Scared yeah. of a spam filter. Yeah. But also, at the same time, there is a downside to that. So in the past, for example, you'd make an inquiry, you'd chat to a person who is in a building, or should I say even in the team, who can give you advice. Now you ask the question, if they don't know the question, they've got to dial the other person who's at home in another location. The communi- internal communication is a little bit yeah. a little bit broken, yeah. whereas uh, whereas before, the people would all be working together. So in, I, fact, I, we, in fact, I, we had this the other day, because when you were looking for the cars, we, were, we did the live chat, didn't we? And then the guy clearly didn't know what you No, he said meant. you got to call another person yeah. who's based at home as well. We're all remote working, so I can't answer that, but another person can answer that but they're not available at the minute because they're at home, whereas normally they would have just shouted across the desk. So, yeah, so there's drawbacks to it, but I think, you know, on the whole, it's one of those communication tools that, you know, people have really started to think it's just a standard now um, on everything. You know, it's, it's going to become expected. Yeah, a lot of things in the digital world sort of start off as sort of a, a novelty, start to be picked up by people, then become expected and become a given as time goes on. And I, I certainly think that things like live chat communication to sort of facilitate a, a an e-commerce transaction it, right now is, I mean, you're crazy if you haven't got it on your website, I think. Yeah, there's a few people uh, I've got, I'm not going to name a particular company, but uh, trying to deal with a particular company we've dealt with several times lately. Uh, they've they've struggled with the amount of inbound inquiries, so they've, they've done a knee-jerk COVID reaction and said, we've closed the phone lines now, we're no longer available on the phone lines, but you can get us on the live chat that's an actual bot that doesn't work. So it's just it's just one of these crazy things that the customer service disappears out the window. And it was quite a substantial purchase that I can't to this day still purchase because they don't reply to emails and they, they require all inquiries through a bot that doesn't work, a chat on their website. So it's it's a, it's a big learning curve for some. And as a larger company, you'd expect it to work. But believe it or not, they don't. VW, for example, last week, I was on their website, they launched a car, I was having a look at it, got the e-shot, I was, I was the perfect client for them, I had full intent, I'd been subscribed to the newsletter for some time, I clicked on it, went to the website, it didn't work. The live chat functionality they'd implemented on the website didn't work at the moment they sent their e-shot out. And you would assume they had all their ducks in the row and they know exactly what they're doing. I know. You, you always think these big companies have got things sewn up, but in our experience, that they, they you know, a lot of them struggle with the same issues that smaller companies do. Apart from small companies, sometimes are quicker to respond to some of these things. Yeah, yeah, we've yeah. had that before, haven't we? Where we've had to go through quite a quite a well known brand, quite a large brand, uh, gone through their website and just picked it for bugs. And we've spent a whole day and we've had a full spreadsheet full of bugs on the website. 
and the bugs get reported by the customer, but it's such a process internally for them to get them bugs fixed that they never do. Well, this is the thing, I think, in terms of like coming back to planning for the unknown. One thing that I've noticed is, especially with bigger clients, they're actually a lot more difficult to help them to pivot or like plan for the unknown or get them into this iterative way of thinking because being so big you've got so many different stakeholders you've got so many different people with like key opinions that they need to have things signed off internally it's almost like an imp- impenetrable force that mm-hmm. you, you actually can't get them and then to you've iterate. got to assume there's an agency at the other side of it how reactive are that agency yeah how much resource have they got to allocate at the drop of a hat and then when you actually bring it back down to kind of like smaller teams and some of the smaller businesses that we've worked with, like we can actually get them, like some of them, they've come to us pretty quickly, like, right, we've got this need, we need to get online because we've got this business need. You're working with the business owner and within a few weeks it's been signed off and completed. And then we've got that pretty much sorted for them. It's almost like sometimes with the bigger companies, it's hard for them to actually get things done at the speed that... I think in this world now, we actually need to do things yeah. in. Yeah, it's the smaller ones that are a bit more nimble and reactive. Yeah. They're the ones succeeding in taking market share, which is which is great because we've seen some of our clients, they've just rocketed. They've done absolutely fantastic and they're capitalizing on everything. And the top of Google for search terms, they've gone all out on social media. Yeah. Uh, their advertising spends up, but they've done absolutely amazing, whereas the larger companies have lost that market share to the smaller companies. Yeah, because they're so stuck on this three-year plan that they created two yeah, years ago. They and yeah. there's, there's also more layers of bureaucracy in bigger companies. and yeah. There's more target setting and there's more people that are worried about missing targets because actually there's no, no one's telling at the top, it's okay, we understand things have got to change. And so everyone sticks rigidly by what their original plan the was, even industry. though it clearly <laughs> was never going to happen. The automotive industry yeah. is a typical one, isn't it? We Absolutely. know quite a few people in that industry and they're just not reacting quick enough. They just furlough the staff. They stay at home. How are we going to sell a car? I don't know. They just yeah. sat there. Yeah, 100%. And yeah, they don't know anything else and it's difficult to get them out of that. But yeah, I think just coming back to obviously the original point around planning for the unknown, you know, I think yeah, if you're a small company, you don't need to plan for the unknown. You just need to be reactive to what's going on, really, and just but still be in control of your business and understand that you're not going to make rash decisions and do things sort of on a knee jerk. But what you are going to change are things that, you know, are going to be responsive to the situation at hand. Yeah, focus offline now and push hard to grow your e-commerce platform, let's say. And then when everything returns to normal, hopefully that will be very soon, your retail store will then boom as well. Yeah, definitely. If you've kept up your kind of ongoing content and brand awareness and stuff while everything's been going, you can think of some great small businesses that have been doing this and pushing some services online and some in the beauty industry. They obviously can't do their core services like, you know, like manicures and like massages and stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) They can't do it at the minute, (laughs) but um, they're um, actually making quite a lot of money out of selling some of the products that they would use on the massages, like the massage oils, like some of the colours and stuff, so people can do their own nails. Then they're creating content like um, how to do your own nails and stuff online and just engaging the community, knowing full well that when they're allowed to open back up, they've got probably a bigger audience than they had done before because of how they've been nurturing people Mm. through the lockdown. And click and collect is a a big one as well. So you've got many people that just love retail, uh, and they've had to move to click and collect, but they'll be the people returning to retail. Yeah, definitely. 
But yeah, I think um, in terms of planning for the unknown then, I think if you um, have any questions about how we can help you, if you've got anything that you're particularly stuck on at the moment, if you just want to run some ideas by us and um, have some marketing chit chat, just get in touch with us at hello at sewmarketing.com.